0: Well, good morning, Harvest. It's uh, great to be with you again this morning. Thanks, Jordan, for hosting uh, the lobby for us again uh, today. And uh, great to see so many of you here uh, interacting on the chat and all that. It's it's fantastic. I, I'm thinking, though, I'm I'm you know, you're at home, you're on the couch, your pajamas are on. Probably some of you still, and you got a coffee in hand. I'm thinking you're going to get really accustomed to that and uh, not want to come back when the time comes. And then I was thinking as I was listening to a worship song this week, and I was picturing us back together. There's a song we've done a lot. I was picturing us back in the room singing that together. And I just know that pajamas and coffee in hand and on the couch can't stack up to actually being together in the room. So I know um, it's going to be an exciting day when we can get together again uh, here in this room. And I'm not you know, just here alone uh, preaching. Uh, But I know I'm not alone. I know you're there this morning. So it's going to be awesome to spend this time in God's word together as we wrap up this uh, short series in the book of Ruth. And hopefully you have your Bible open in front of you right now to Ruth chapter four, and are going to follow along as we uh, look at God's word uh, today. All right. So let's start with this You know, endings, are very appealing to us. Like, for example, I would like this pandemic to end. You know, we like endings. And uh, obviously, we want this pandemic to end. But as human beings, we like completion. We like resolution. We like to have things in our life tied off, and even not just bad things like the pandemic, obviously, but even good things. If we read a book, we like a really good ending. If we watch a movie, we like a really good ending or a TV series that comes to an end. We, we like those good endings. And, and when they don't end the way we want them to, or they don't end with a good resolution in some way, we dislike that. And we're going to tell people when we're uh, talking to them about it, we're not going to recommend it. We're going to say, know, that just had a horrible ending. Um, and uh, ones where we do like the ending, we recommend. And when when you're watching a series, I just hate this, when you're watching a series and then it just gets canceled and there's no resolution to the series whatsoever, it just leaves us feeling upset that it wasn't finished. Now, if the story of Ruth ended at chapter 3, we'd be left in that place of incompletion. We'd be left with so many questions And so few answers. The narrative would have brought us at the end of chapter three, right to the very dramatic moment, right to the edge of it, it, and then left us there without any resolution whatsoever. And thankfully, thankfully, we have chapter four to look at today where the story takes us uh, to where the road ends, the road to redemption. And it's a message we desperately need right now. There is an end to all of this that we're going through. And that's actually in talking about where the road ends, that's where we find hope. You and I will find hope where the road to redemption ends. And so that's what we're going to see in chapter 4. You have your Bibles open in front of, uh, in front of you. Let me read uh, this, and then I'll pray, and we'll begin working through Um, What we have here, this is a Ruth chapter four, beginning at verse one. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, "Uh, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, bless And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Solomon. Solomon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. All right, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we uh, give ourselves to you in these uh, moments. Father, um, we ask that you would open our minds to understand, that you would open our hearts to believe, and you would open our wills to be obedient to you and your word. Father, we need you to speak to us, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would do that right now. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Some amens at home, I hope, uh, to the reading of God's word. And um, I want us to be able to say, if you have your notes in front of you now, I I want us all to be be able to say this by the end of this message with great confidence. I will find hope in knowing where the road to redemption ends. I will find hope in knowing where the road to redemption ends ends and if you're joining us uh, in this message and you haven't heard the previous three messages obviously we're picking up the narrative uh, here in chapter four uh, but you can go to harvestberry.ca slash teaching and find the whole series there and to watch each of the uh, earlier three messages to kind of pick up the story and see this whole road to redemption that we have been on and so I will find hope in knowing where the road to redemption ends. And it's hope, first of all, let's look at this, hope because the renowned and worthy Redeemer is making it all happen. It's the Redeemer who's making it all happening happen right here. And, and I have to say, you know, and really ask you, am I speaking for everyone else right now, feeling quite powerless at all the events that are going on? We feel Powerless. We're holed up in our homes. We're fearful of a contagion that we cannot see, an enemy that could be anywhere. If you, if you happen to venture out and go into a grocery store or to Costco like I did last week and, and it's, it's, there's an eerie silence over the entire place, there's a cautiousness around everyone. But we uh, don't want to miss the greater point of this pandemic. It's not just about solving this particular issue. It isn't about the coronavirus. It's about our complete vulnerability as human beings. But the great news of the book of Ruth that we're seeing here as we study this story is that redemption is not on me. It's not on you to make happen. You and I cannot redeem ourselves. Even if we tried, we can't muster enough to get through this and everything else that life is going to throw at us. Humanity as a whole does not have it in them. We need a redeemer who's greater than us. One who is, according to the text, one who is worthy. One who is renowned. Now, the recap of the story, very briefly, Boaz is going to make his play to act as a redeemer for Naomi and Ruth here, who had fallen really into poverty and 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 were enslaved and devastated by their circumstances. So verse one, Boaz went to the gate. This is where transactions and meetings like this took place. He went to the gate and the redeemer came by. This is the guy who was first in line, the first guy who had kind of like a right of first refusal on Naomi's land. And he just happened to come by, according to the text. But we already seen that phrase in this, um, uh, this series. We've already seen how God is sovereign over all of this. So Boaz said to him, turn aside, friend. And the translation there is a bit unfortunate, a bit formal. In fact, this is a little bit more of a, hey, buddy, over here. You know, hey, hey, you come over here. And he, uh, he's talking to this potential, potential redeemer who remains um, unnamed throughout the entire story because he ends up being so insignificant and his name passes from history. Actually, his name couldn't even pass from history because his name was never mentioned in history. But he comes and he sits down, verse 2, and 10 men of the elders of the city also sat down. And in essence, what's happening now, court is in session and this this uh, civil-slash-family-court matter, this legal matter, is going to be solved. Verse 3, then Boaz recounts to the, de- the-, the Redeemer all the details of Naomi's dilemma, and then he makes the appeal. Verse 4, so I thought I would tell you. Buy her land, redeem her. That's the, that's the, p- the plea here. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, just tell me. You're not going to do it. Now, first, in the Jewish understanding of all of this, there's a lot of language here that we are hearing in a certain way with our ear that would not have been understood in the same way in that day. She is not, in essence, selling the property, though that word is used here. It isn't hers to sell at this point. The goel, that's the word we saw earlier in the series, the kinsman redeemer here. He's not buying it, even though that language is used here. It cannot be purchased. Even though all of those words are being used, that's not exactly. It's not a buy-sell transaction that's happening here. It may actually be best to see it in this way. The, the land had been, just think about this, Elimelech and Naomi and their two boys are going to move from Israel and they're going to move to Moab. And before that happens, Elimelech needs some cash. So what he does is he doesn't sell his land, he pawns it and he pawns it to someone else, and he takes the cash for that so that the man who now is in possession of the land is holding it as a surety against um, the cash that he gave them. But then all of that is spent. Elimelech and the boys die in Moab. Naomi makes her way back with Ruth. She has no claim on the land. It's still technically her family's land, but she has no money, no way to redeem it, to get it back from the pawnbroker, in essence, and to have possession and use of it again, and to increase her wealth. It's in the hands of a non-family member, and Naomi needs help to redeem it. That's where Boaz comes in. And and so we're talking all about land in chapter four, but we already know from what's happened in the story, it's not all about land. I mean, up until this time, it hasn't been about land really at all. It was much more about Ruth securing their future, by marriage. And there's no doubt from earlier in the story that Boaz and Ruth have caught each other's eye and that something is happening between them. And so both of these, both of these strands are kind of running together now and then are tied together. There's the land issue and there's the, the Ruth issue getting married. And one commentator, Daniel Bloch, says this, Boaz knew that gaining the rights to the use of Naomi's property was the key to winning the right to Ruth's hand. And so immediately seeking an opportunity to add to his own wealth and property, though, the original Goel, the first in line guy says, I will redeem it. I'll do that. I'm going after the land. He doesn't understand there's a whole Ruth part to this yet. And if Ruth is watching this whole conversation take place at the gate, this is the moment of panic. This is where she's devastated because she hears that Goel, who is not Boaz, who she is not interested in, who they don't know anything about. She hears him say, I'll do it. I'll redeem the land. And this is gonna leave her again in a bad place. But Boaz was being clever about this every step of the way. And he said in verse five, if you buy the field, You also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Now, this is drawn from the principle. This is a principle in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 7, if you want to track that down. This is the custom that if a man died and he didn't have any kids, he was married, but he didn't have any kids yet, that his brother would then take his widow and marry her and have children in the brother's name. Okay, and that totally seems weird to us today. That is not a tradition that happens here in our culture. But at the time, and prescribed by Deuteronomy 25, that's what would happen. Uh, But Boaz is, is kind of pushing the man here into a corner, and Boaz is following more the spirit of that law rather than the letter of it, because Boaz was not the brother of Malon, nor was this unnamed redeemer. But he pushes the man into a corner because now he's coupled these things together. It's not just about the redemption of the land, but it's also about this obligation to Malon to perpetuate the line. And so the man really sees that he has no other option but to reject what's being offered to him. He doesn't want to jeopardize his own reputation. He doesn't want to be less known uh, to be less than a noble person himself. He doesn't want to redeem the land and then leave Naomi and Ruth in their their devastation and their destitution. And so he rejects it. Verse 6, the Redeemer then said, I cannot redeem it for myself. I don't want to jeopardize my own inheritance. He walks away from the deal. It's all you... Uh, Boaz, it's on you. Take my right of redemption yourself, he says. And again, if Ruth was watching, this is where she breathes a huge sigh of relief. Now the deal is sealed with this strange like shoe ceremony. The guy takes off his Birkenstock and he he, he holds it to show that he was agreeing to this. That's in verses 7 and 8. And then in verses 9 and 10, he restates the transaction. This is Boaz says it all again this is exactly what's happened everybody just so there's clarity let's read back the the court record on this and he repeats it all and then he says ruth i have bought to be my wife that's cringeworthy ruth i have bought to be my wife any single guys out there just do not recommend this as a way to attract a young woman uh, this is not something we would say today, obviously. Um, most other translations here, instead of the word bought, would use the word acquired. And I don't really think that's much better in helping us to feel good about it. But you have to recall the place, you have to recall the time and the culture that's being reflected here. And in, in, in fact, um, that Naomi and Ruth had really fallen to the very lowest levels of the socioeconomic scale, uh, that they were really little better than slaves, And there was a sense here that they were being acquired out of that, bought out of that. And so Boaz does all of this to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. This is to perpetuate the name of Malon and of Elimelech, his dad. And everyone agreed to this. In verse 11, the people and the elders offered this incredible blessing of fertility. Now, remember, Ruth had been married to Melon; They hadn't had any kids. And so this blessing is really appropriate for Ruth. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, the wives of Jacob and all the children, the 12 tribes of Israel came from uh, that um, those relationships. Verse 12, like the house of Perez, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, here's the point of all of that, just cruising through the first 12 verses. The point of all of that is Boaz is the only one who could have made all of that happen. Naomi and Ruth needed a redeemer. Boaz made it happen. And you and I, you and I need a redeemer outside of ourselves, just as Naomi and Ruth needed that. We need a redeemer. Well, nine months passed between... Between verse 12 and verse 13, at least nine months pass, and we see this next. We have, I have hope, because the redemption of what has been lost will be realized. The redemption of what has been lost will be realized. I'm gonna get that back. Verse 13. So Boaz and Ruth, they get married, and he went into her. I'm not gonna, not gonna, not gonna explain that right now. You're welcome, parents. Okay? And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she had a boy. And in this moment, can you just sense it for Ruth? All those years of heartache melt away in the face of this hope. Everything that was lost was being restored and redeemed. And in verse 14, the woman said, all all these women in Bethlehem, they said, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may, now track this now, may his name be renowned, famous in Israel. Verse 15, he, this is the thing. Somehow now they're talking about the child. He, the child shall be to you a restorer of life, a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Their child, this baby, becomes the hope. I I hope you can feel the, the, the hope surging in these words. The child, not Boaz, becomes the redeemer. Hope is realized through the birth of Ruth's son, God was restoring all the lost years, healing the pain, resolving their grief. God was pouring out blessing on them in ways that they could not have imagined when they were in their dark days, when their husbands all died, when they were in Moab, when they were agonizing about coming back. When Naomi slinked her way back to her hometown of Bethlehem with this Moabite girl in tow, when she called herself a bitter woman, And blamed God for it all. And in his grace, God restored. Now listen, with all the losses that you may have suffered in your life and all the losses that are yet to come, it may be hard to imagine that for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, he will redeem all of that and give you something that is far better. That too is our hope. And I I think about all the times that I have prayed using Ephesians 3.20 as a basis for the prayer. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, the power of the Holy Spirit within us, far more abundantly than anything we could imagine. That's what God wants to do for us. God in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to do that for you and more. He stands ready to restore what has been lost in your life. And we need to hope in that. Finally, this. Hope because everything redeemed will be secure and never lost again. I mean, this is an awesome thought. Not only that God is going to restore what's been lost, but then once we have that, that is so secure that it's never going to be taken away from us again. Once God restores, that's a done deal. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which makes all of this possible, was a once-for-all act that sealed the work of God in our lives. What he started, he finishes. And inasmuch as we cannot save ourselves, we need a redeemer for that. Inasmuch as we cannot save ourselves, we cannot keep ourselves in that salvation apart from that redeemer. It's an ongoing act of redemption and holding us in our salvation. And we remain dependent on the redeemer. So verse 16, Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. Verse 17, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying a son has been born to Naomi. That's interesting. Uh, but it is Elimelech's name, and the line that's being renewed here, they named him Obed, and of note, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now that... That ends the story with a bit of a punch, don't you think? In fact, we might think the climax of the story is, is when Boaz finally gets the right to redemption and that everything else coming after that is that denouement that comes at the end of a story where all the loose ends are tied off. This, this story doesn't climax until this very moment where we see that this is heading toward David, the king. Obed was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then we have this this little genealogy in verses 18 through 22. And um, you could admit right now that when you do your reading plans and you're working through and you have to come to the book of Ruth and you see a genealogy, you, you could just admit right now you don't read it, but you should because there's something really awesome here. In this genealogy, the last name in the genealogy, the last word in the book is David. I mean, you can see Boaz's name there and his son, Obed, and he would father Jesse. That's David's dad. And here's the hope in this for all of us. This is why the genealogy is so important. Ruth, this Moabite woman, devastated by the circumstances of life that came at her. She ends up as the great grandma of King David. Now that's awesome for her only in that she had a son. The awesome part for her was she had a baby whose name was Obed. She had no idea at the time that Obed was going to was going to was going to be in the line of David, in the line of a king no idea that her great-grandson would be a king of Israel, that, the, that, that, that God would establish a covenant with that king called the Davidic covenant, where God would establish his throne forever, that he would have a son who would be the Messiah, the savior of the world. So the significance of all of this isn't really even about David but that the Davidic line points to the Messiah. That in Jesus Christ, the road to redemption that Ruth was on, that Naomi was on, that road to redemption begins and ends with Jesus Christ. And our hope rests in that Redeemer. Redeemer who purchased our freedom, who acquired our us as his children who lifted us out of our own devastating circumstances, who lifted us from our poverty, our slavery to sin and our desperation. The apostle Paul put it this way. This is Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He, the father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have, there it is, redemption, the forgiveness of sins, The New Living Translation, says, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That's the story of Ruth applied to salvation for all who believe, including me and you, if we believe. The beloved son, Jesus Christ, sacrificed himself and became the redeemer, became the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. If you will believe. If you will believe. If you will take the risk and lay down at his feet and surrender your life to him, it's the best offer you're ever going to get. You start to look at, uh, for hope in this world, and it's so fleeting, it's so absent, it's so temporary. This world is not offering anything like Jesus. This world can't tell you how the story is going to end. And, and I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. At this point, I am so grateful for our government leaders. I'm so grateful for these Chief Medical Officers of Health who are helping us through this. I'm grateful for frontline medical workers. I'm grateful for economists who are helping us navigate that part of the crisis. I'm grateful for first responders, for our military on standby. I'm grateful for engineers who are retooling plants to produce supplies that we need. I'm grateful for the vast manpower of our nation, for grocery clerks and truck drivers. I'm grateful for all of it being brought to bear on this situation and i'm hopeful of an end to the pandemic but it is only a temporary solution it only helps us survive this particular virus it doesn't prevent the next one i I looked it up in the last 150 years We have seen virus after virus afflict the world with varying impacts from yellow fever to the Spanish flu, to the Russian flu, to the Asian flu, to the Hong Kong flu. Thankfully, we don't name any of these pandemics after places and people anymore. But more recently in the 20th century, HIV, AIDS, SARS, MERS, Ebola, swine flu, and COVID-19. We're not so naive to believe that this is the last one. We have seen this over and over again in our history. These things repeat. We don't ever actually solve the real problem. I'm a, uh, I'm a student. I, I love to study warfare. I, I I I I'm fascinated by World War II in particular. But if you go back a few years to World War I, World War I was called the war to end all wars. And the 20th century ended up being the bloodiest century in history. 19 years, sorry, 21 years after the end of the First World War, we were gripped again as a world in war. Six years later, it was the Korean War. Within nine years, countries were embroiled in Vietnam. For the past 19 years, it has been the war on terror. George Santayana uh, said this, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And the last part of that is true. We are condemned to repeat history over and over again. But I'm sorry, George, that's going to happen whether we remember it or not. We need a redeemer who's going to restore what's been lost in the creation and to make it so that we'll never lose it again. That's the only place to find a true and lasting hope. We started this message talking about endings and how much we like them. The book of Ruth ends with a, it's an unexpected but future prophetic word to us just by mentioning David. And it got me thinking about the ending that we're all really looking forward to. The last book of the Bible when the throne of David will indeed be established forever. The last book of the Bible, the revelation of John or the revelation of Jesus Christ It brings the redemptive story that we've read about here in Ruth. It brings it to this spectacular, this fantastical end. The Revelation was written right at the end of the first century by the Apostle John. And and he wrote it to a church that was facing incredible opposition and, and crushing persecution. The book of Revelation was written to encourage people who believed in Jesus Christ, in the church, who were facing that opposition and persecution. To encourage them by simply reminding them that God was bringing about the end exactly as he always intended to do it. That everything is in his control and that for those who believe this heartbreaking and difficult mortal life will give way to a glorious and spectacular eternal life in the presence of our God. The road to redemption, we could say it this way, the road to redemption that we've been looking at, it passed through Bethlehem twice, but it ends at the new Jerusalem. And here's what I thought we would do to to close off this message in this series. I want you to be strengthened in the midst of whatever you're facing right now. And I wouldn't presume that we're all facing the same thing. But many of us are facing loneliness, financial pressures, even just simple disorientation from all the changes. Some are facing illnesses and wondering how serious it's going to become. Some are grieving. Some have faced loss, and many are facing discouragement. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen. I want you to stop what you're doing right now. Because I I just know that it's easy when you're watching the live stream to be distracted and doing other things. But I really want you in this moment just to pause. Whatever else is going on and focus on this. I want you, in fact, to close your eyes. And I want you to listen to the word of God. I want you to be strengthened by this. This is the end of the story. Revelation 21, 1 to 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and he will be their people. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And also he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life, without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. That is our hope. That's where this road to redemption ends. Let's pray together.